with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper. The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets the crossing. It's towards Wilson. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Welcome. It is episode 27 of Give and Go. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so much for downloading, subscribing, tuning in, and supporting Girls Soccer Network and this podcast, Give and Go. I've got some very special news before we get into everything else going on in the world of women's soccer. First and foremost, you can subscribe to this podcast. Let Siri know. All you got to do is tell her, subscribe to this podcast, pick a specific episode by asking Siri by the episode number, and all of that will be done for you. Subscribe, download. Apple Podcasts is by far our most popular source for you guys who have been downloading this, so continue to do so, okay? Secondly, really exciting news. If you love the work that we do here at Girl Soccer Network, if you love this podcast and you love what's going on over at www.girlsoccernetwork.com, you can provide us a tip, a donation, and support us in helping grow the women's game as best as we possibly can. In order to do so, all you need to do is go to the Give and Go tab at the top of the page at girlsoccernetwork.com and once you click on that link, you will be able to see a sponsor this podcast button where you can either provide a monthly donation or a one-time donation, depending on how you feel, however much you want to provide. Anything is appreciated. So again, if you want to donate and help us out, by all means, you can go there. I will also be posting this in my bio on Instagram as well, and it'll be all over the place on Girls Soccer Network as well. So... Without further ado, now that we've got that out of the way, we have so much to look into when it comes to the world of women's soccer. All right, we start with, of course, the NWSL just wrapped up the regular season, their final week of the regular season. And of course, you might recall back uh, when the season first started, we did a prediction as to how the standings might play out. I would say we did pretty well. I'm not going to act like it was all that, you know, it was the most difficult decision to make. I think it was pretty clear cut in terms of who the best teams were. And in terms of the top three, we got that correctly. We did believe the Courage were the best team. Chicago coming in at number two, finally getting that home game that is going to be so critical for them. The Thorns coming in third. The fourth team, however, was incorrect. I did, I do recall picking the Houston Dash, thinking that this would be their year. They did make massive improvements across the board under James Clarkson in year one, but still a lot left to be desired on the defensive end for them. It was indeed the rain, and when you consider what the rain had to go through in terms of injury in the World Cup this year, not having Megan Rapinoe for a large chunk of the season, you lose Jess Fishlock. You know, so many other players had to step up, including players like Bethany Balser, who really came out of nowhere. She is the clear-cut candidate to win Rookie of the Year. But you talk about what Vladko and Donovsky and his coaching staff can do in terms of how they identify and develop players that fit their system. This is the perfect opportunity for them. And you can see how they 
are still competitive each and every year because they're able to do so. And this is what has them stand up as a top-tier organization above the likes of the Spirit, the Pride, the Dash, and the Royals. Who, again, the Spirit and the Royals also not that far behind. The Royals could have easily been a playoff team as well with how they looked. So take nothing away from them. But again, when you look at the top four, you know, we have to do a playoff preview. And you look at, of course, the Courage, who stumbled midway through the season, had a tough stretch. I mean, they did lose a game, and um, they lost a couple games this year that they really didn't, you know, you really didn't expect them to lose. But at the same time, they finished really, really strong and ended up breaking their own single-season goal record. Last year, it was 53. This year, they broke it with 54. So order has been restored in that department. The Courage are still the team to beat, in my opinion. And one great bit of news regarding the Courage we actually have an interview with McCall Zerboni, an exclusive interview that we will bring to you later on in the show. I got to say that was really cool to have an interview with her the day before the game. So getting to interview her and then see her out on the pitch the next day in the starting 11, that was really cool. So we'll bring that to you shortly. But the courage, right, will be taking on the Seattle Rain, as we mentioned, excuse me, Rain FC, no longer Seattle Rain. When you compare the two teams, right, it's going to be a tough, tough task for the Rain to go into North Carolina and, and beat the best team. They really have their work cut out for them. And the question is, do they have enough firepower? I do not think they do. It's been a great run. Do not expect the Courage to lose. And I think they handle the Rain pretty easily, I don't, especially at home. It's going to be very, very difficult. Vladko Andonovsky and his coaching staff, I'm sure, will put together a tremendous game plan. But nothing changes for the Courage in terms of their no-finish line mentality. It's full steam ahead under Paul Riley. And they, again, as I mentioned, winning the NWSL Shield for the third straight year. This level of dominance, and this level of consistency is rare in sports. And anytime it can be achieved at this level, it needs to be appreciated and respected as much as it possibly can. So again, hats off to the Courage. A third straight NWSL Shield titled as the best regular season team. And I'm sure they would like to follow that up and go back to back and win the NWSL championship as well as and finish the job. Because as we know, previous NWSL Shield winners had not had tremendous amount of success going on to win the title. But the Courage broke that trend last year and are looking to do it again this year and really kind of change the scope of how, the, how we think about the league. That's matchup number one, of course. The more interesting matchup and the matchup that we love that has certainly become a rivalry in and of itself, because these two teams have truly been fighting as, you know, who is the more premier organization? And I know Portland immediately is kind of the gold standard in the league, right? They became the first team to ever, in the league, obviously by a wide margin, I mean, it, it, it's no secret, to average more than 20,000 fans a game. That is incredible. Hopefully, you know, this kind of sets the precedent for what is to come in the future once, you know, we get into expansion. But Portland is the gold standard. And then you have up-and-coming Chicago, who has been a staple as well. Both of these teams are such staples in American soccer. Chicago has such a proud fan base as well. We know their playoff history. The Thorns have the championship pedigree that the Chicago is so desperately chasing. They are so after getting this NWSL title. We all know four consecutive years they have gone to the postseason and they have yet to reach a final. But now this is different. 
it's a different scenario they are hosting and i cannot you know tell you what a big difference it makes that they don't have to go to portland and play they don't have to go to north carolina and play they can play this one at home with in front of their fans hopefully the moment does not get too big for them i think there's a series of factors here that are going to make this very interesting and while i would love to think that this is going to be chicago's year I'm worried that the emotions might be too big for them in this moment. Because again, what's so interesting about how the schedule ended up falling this year, the Red Stars played their last game a while ago. They did not play yesterday. They were the team left out. So you're looking at two weeks before this game, two weeks of off time. You could really argue either way how important this is, either Right? The rest will benefit them greatly. These players can mentally hit the reset button and prepare themselves for the playoffs because they've been there before. They know what it's like. They know what to do. Or you have the flip side of it where some players like to get in a rhythm. They want to continually play repeatedly so that they can keep their skills sharp. They don't want to necessarily sit and be idle and lose some of the rhythm that you've developed as a team together. So either way, it's going to be close. I I know Rory Dames has a tremendous pulse on how this team works and they're such an experienced team. I don't think it will be an issue. I think mentally they will be prepared and ready to go, especially at home. I don't think it'll be an issue, but they just need to be careful because I think the Thorns are more than game to to prove that they aren't just a team that, that wins in front of their home stadium, that they can go on the road too and get it done. And I think this will be a very interesting opportunity from Mark Parsons and that group, who really, honestly, at times, have not looked like themselves. And we've seen when you don't have that out-and-out striker, right? Christine Sinclair can't do all the scoring. Tobin Heath is only, you know, a, a creator in, you know, in in the truest sense. She's not necessarily a tremendous goal scorer. She's not going to get you double-digit goals every year. So where is the offense going to come from? I heard about what Dan Laletta said at the end of the broadcast. He mentioned how they are the first team going into the playoffs to have not scored in their last two matches. And that could be a bit of a concern considering where is the offense going to come from. Can you rely on your defense, Adriana French, and that solid outfit to get the job done? Defense is not the issue. It's can you stop Sam Kerr? And that's really the key here. Will Sam Kerr be able to finally get the breakthrough and come through for her team. It's really that simple. She's done it. We've seen her do it before in Australia. We've seen her do it, you know, in the W League for her country, but we've yet to really see her do it here in the NWSL. And I think if she could do that, she has an opportunity to truly cement her legacy as one of the all-time greats. Once you get that title, it really it doesn't necessarily take away from how great you are, but it certainly adds to overall legacy and what it means to be a football player. So very, very intriguing matchup. And I can't wait to see how it's going to play out because you're looking at, this is what we've waited all year long for. You know, all year long we have waited patiently for these playoffs. And based on the moves that Chicago made, they are deservedly the second best team in the league in the standings. Uh, They've handled it so well this year. It seems like this is the year that they are going to get to that final that you know they're going to get over the hump it's been like a euripides like struggle where they get to the top of the mountain pushing that boulder all the way to the top and then it rolls all the way back down be a very interesting very very interesting match because in all likelihood the winner of that will be taking on the courage
There was some other very uh, intriguing news around the NWSL. Two separate instances involving fans, both different degrees of severity, but at the same time, both not acceptable for a couple of different reasons. First, right, you have the girl who was on camera running onto the pitch to go see Carly Lloyd. And again, right by the end of the video, you realize, okay, she was just going for an autograph, we're fine. But the second she jumps out onto the field... And she starts running towards a player. Ali Long spots her and immediately tries to stop her from getting to Carly Lloyd. Does everything she can to get her to not go in that direction. Fan makes it there, gets the autograph, and that's fine. But it is it was a harmless moment in this instance. But in the instance of what happened with Sofia Huerta, this is exactly why we can't have what happened with Carly Lloyd. The Houston Dash played a friendly with Tigres Femenil in Mexico. And... After the game, Sofia Huerta, unfortunately, was touched inappropriately while taking a picture. Of course, we saw a zero-tolerance policy from the Utah Royals when there were racist allegations towards A. Dizzle. And again, the right action was taken in this particular instance where a lifetime ban was placed on the fan. And that, again, was a completely correct call to make. It's not something that we can have. And it's something to really think about in terms of the women's game. And, and how friendly and open the players are. And it's amazing because every, after every single game, you see players going over to the crowd, taking selfies, signing autographs with fans. And it's important that we have that for the game. We need that. But at the same time, as the exposure continues to grow, there are going to be more and more safety concerns. Okay? I think the thing that we think about the incident that is the biggest reason why this is not okay is what happened to Monica Sellis, the tennis player back in the 90s, was stabbed on the court, okay, while the match was going on, okay? That's not something that needs to be taken lightly. Her life dramatically changed after that moment. Like, these are athletes, they are still people, you know? So we need to think twice before we get out there, before you even think about jumping out onto the pitch and doing something like that. Because we see in, in other American sports, guys do it, they get punished. So hopefully as it continues to develop and the league continues to develop, we will get more safety related protocols put into place to protect the players because for it to happen as often as it does. And again, it happens in the, in the men's game too. It's happened before. There are always going to be security lapses, but the fact that it happened twice in a week span is something that's going to be a, a flashpoint for the NWSL and something that they need to address moving forward. Of course, while the NWSL was, you know, on a bit of a break, during the international break, Jill Ellis coached her final match for the U.S. Women's National Team. Certainly an emotional game that was spoiled by a 1-1 by a draw with uh, South Korea, which was a bit surprising to say the least. But when you think about how big the occasion was, sometimes when the occasion is that big and expectations are set very low, you're going to have an emotional letdown. And I think that's kind of what happened, especially when the United States were the ones who conceded first in that match. But overall, you know, 132 matches total for Jill Ellis and the most, you know, the winningest manager in, in United States women's soccer history and will have to go down as the best manager uh, till date in terms of what she achieved, what she dealt with, what she handled. The ability to block out all of the noise 
because there's so much. When it's the women's national team and it's the standard is so high, the media, the pressure, there's so much going on behind the scenes. And the way that she has handled it the entire time with class, truly an incredible, incredible manager. So we're definitely going to miss her. It's a, I was honestly a little surprised she didn't want to go uh, for round three. But at the same time, can you blame her with, again, the amount of time that goes into another cycle, another look at new players, another reassessment of everything related to how you want to build the team. So make sure, we really need to make sure that whoever the replacement is knows what they're doing. And I know the two names I think that have come up the most are Vladko Andonovsky and Laura Harvey, two of the more bigger names we've heard about for, for quite some time. So when you think about her legacy, we're going to miss her dearly, but she truly is one of the greatest of all time. Okay, it is that time. We have a very special interview with McCall Zerboni of the North Carolina Courage. Again, without further ado, here it is, guys. McCall, the, the Courage have now won three straight NWSL Shields. Congratulations. Tell us Thank more. You. Yeah, tell us more about this team. Take us inside the locker room. And why do you think you guys have been this dominant over this three-year stretch? Yeah, I think um, our team has a lot of talent. And any team can have talent. But I think that it's the talent that needs to learn how to commit to the group and put the group first. And I think that... Um, you know, this, this team is committed to, to the success part of it. You know, I think dedicating um, themselves to, to the success and the betterment of the group is, is how we all get along, you know. And, um, you know, like I said, you can have a lot of talent, but if, if it's not functioning well together, then, you know, it's, you're not going to find success, but we have both. Now, you're without a doubt one of the more passionate and intense players we have in today's game. Where does your competitive spirit and desire to win come from? I think, you know, just from not having an easy life and knowing that I have to work hard and, and earn my spot and my stripes. And I get my competitiveness from the willingness to serve my team. So sometimes I think about it like, you know, I'm going out there to battle for my team and my fans and, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to get the job done and, and give them my service so, so we can find wins and success. So... I think a lot of people confuse that as me being like a rough person, but it's actually out of service and, and you know, kind of dedicating my performance and my body to, to getting a job done to, to get what we deserve. Exactly. It's, it's out of love, right? You care deeply. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's been almost two years to the day since your first cap for the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh Describe what that feeling was like to finally get the call and suit up for your country. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll never forget it. You know, if I think about it, I can look right into that emotion again. And it just brings me a lot of elation. It's kind of like, you know, 10 years of hard work and commitment and sacrificing um, myself, my personal life, you know, for my teammates, you know, those kind of things all coming together. And the honor to represent my country, you know, that was a really cool moment for me. Um, I think a lot of people lose sight of that, like, oh, it's the national team, you know, they just think about it in, like, a soccer or a U.S. on the national team way. They don't think about it in, like, a, I'm putting on the colors of my country and going out there to, like, try to get a job done and battle for them. So <clears throat> that was really cool for me. 
and you know, like I said, I, it's kind of like all the hard work came through a pinnacle for me because that's it's never been easy for me, so I had to put a lot into it. In these two years since then, how do you feel you've grown and developed as both a player and a person? Yeah, I think taking that next step, um, you know, at the international level has taught me a lot personally, emotionally, and also on the field as well. It's just a different, uh, first of all, our national team is a different style of play, so I kind of had to, you know, learn more and put more caliber into my game and adjust my game a little bit and, you know, work with that formation and that style of play. Um, so I learned that. And just the way that the operation goes, you know, when you're competing internationally and, you know, how that program functions and what they do and what they don't do. And I just really broadened my perspective and, and opened me up to a whole different world of football. And what were some of the things that opened up your mind in, in terms of that international experience that you got? You know, when you go to that level, everyone is very, very good and very, very driven. The, the level of focus and competitiveness and dedication, everyone at that level takes their job and motivates themselves very, very well and takes their job very seriously. So there's not a lot of... You know, the leadership is different in an in environment like that because they don't need uh, information or tips. They kind of just need, you know, everyone's very confident. Um, they just need it to, to gel well. You know, they just need those, those personalities and, and those strong players to, to mesh well and gel well, where I feel like in the club level, you know, you have some rookies, you have some other people that need some guidance and information and things like that. Um, I think the national level is, is just different. You have two NWSL titles to your name. Was it a different feeling winning it in 2018 over 2016, or was the first title just as sweet as the second one? Oh, no. Every time I win a championship or a league title, it's, I never take it for granted. It's not something that's easy at all, and it's not something that just happens to you. Nobody wins a championship or especially a league title by chance. I think for me, um, what really shines about winning the league three years in a row is that basically that's saying you're consistently performing and finding success day in and day out and week end and week out. And that's really, really difficult to achieve in a year, let alone three years in a row. You know, in the system that we have, you know, number four in the playoffs could win the championship. Mm-hmm. But in the league, winning that league title, that says that you are number one consistently three years in a row and winning, winning most ball games. So I think that's a really special thing to kind of shine some light upon with this group. Now, you've been a tremendous advocate in the fight against cancer, and of course, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Tell us more about your initiative, how it started, and what people can do to help. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Um, how it started was my auntie, who was uh, one of my biggest fans. Uh, she never missed a home game of mine at UCLA. My first year pro, she actually passed away uh, from breast cancer kind of rapidly and suddenly. So that really shook me to my core, you know, um, especially involving football, because when I looked up and, and stand and watched the game, she wasn't there anymore. So that, that was eye-opening for me uh, my rookie year because I realized the platform that the, the professional level has, and I wanted to use that platform positively and to basically help um, others or um, prevent people from going through the same heartache and um, tragedy that I went through. So I'm very passionate about getting out there to hopefully raise education and, and resources for breast cancer to you know, help people survive. So I started an initiative with um, 
some people when I played in Atlanta, um, a family that I'm close to. We just kind of took it from there. Now, I know the Courage are so goal-oriented, taking it one day at a time, but have you looked into the future in terms of your playing career? Have you thought about how many years you have left to give? Because you give a lot. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, people ask me that um, a lot. For me, as long as I am healthy and I feel good and I still feel that um, I have passion for the game, because for me, you, you can't do this if you're not willing to give give the sacrifice to play. It's just, it's just especially as you get older as well, it's just the more and more you miss, um, you know, the more you're away from your family and um, that starts to build up and add up, you know. So the, the reward has to, you know, and the passion and, and the willingness has to outweigh the, the sacrifice. And I'm still at that moment where I still love playing. I still want to achieve more. I still love what I do. And I still think there's levels, like higher level that I can reach. I really do think that um, I'm still improving, you know, especially coming off a, a big injury. You know, I, I, I still am improving and, and getting better each day. And is coaching something you would consider in the future? Do you see yourself potentially in that role? I'm not going to say no to it. Um, I just have a lot of things that I could be really happy doing Mm -hmm. post-career. But, you know, like I said, my head is really still in the game and and focus on my performance and uh, winning as many titles as I can and championships as I can. And that's where I'm at right now. But I'm definitely an open book to, to what could come after. And what piece of advice would you have for people who have been who have been told no and who have faced rejection uh, a lot in their lives? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. No is one person's opinion. And I think the opinion of yourself is the most important thing. And if you know in your heart something or you believe something, then that's your truth. And your role in this life is just to go live your truth, live who you are, live who you want to be, and live what you like to do. Um, as long as it's not harming others, um, you know, and then, then go out there and live out loud and, and, and do what you like to do and, and chase, chase what you want to chase to be what you want to be. And, um, you know, no, it's no one else's responsibility to say yes or no on that. I think it's, it's your responsibility to say yes, I am and yes, I can. And, um, you know, with that, when you believe in yourself and, and believe that anything can happen, then, you know, that gives you hope. And when a person has hope, they have everything. So regardless of what level you know, say a young girl growing up may be at, if they want to get to the college or the pros, it really comes down to not taking no for an answer. Yeah, if that's, if that's what you want to do, and you're going to get told no. You know, it happens. You know, I was uh, denied many things along my career and, and throughout my life. I mean, look at me. I was never selected for the national team and told no every single year for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Being told no for 10 years didn't stop me. I just, you know, kept going and doing what I like to do and, and made sure that I was working on myself and improving my, myself and, and my football and every day. I got to say, getting the opportunity to speak with McCall Zerboni was an honor. She's one of my favorite players. I was, I was doing everything I possibly could to not fanboy as best as I possibly could. Yeah, it was, it was really an awesome experience to get to talk to her. She truly is an inspiration in terms of when you are told no and when people tell you you can't do something don't listen to them it's biggest thing she said was no you know it's someone else's opinion it it is not the end-all be-all to your world and to your surroundings to your environment to everything and she's been able to control that and after 10 years of long 
hard work, right? 10 years, right? Some people aren't willing to put in that amount of time. Some people are not, right? That's the difference between her and everyone else who has tried to make the national team, right? She never quit, never quit, and eventually got her opportunity. Now she's been in the side for the last two years, has made numerous appearances. Now she's an established star in the league because of the work that she's put in. So it's it's hard not to appreciate what she has done, not only for the game, but, but in terms of inspire, being able to inspire others. Now a word from our first sponsor, Striker Elite. Based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Striker Elite develops confident, creative, and elite players in soccer and for life. After instructing players seeking to play at the highest level, Coach George Nahorski quickly recognized the need for an environment that helped these players excel at a rapid pace. That's where the creation of an academy that would specialize in training soccer players was born. Focusing on player development, the curriculum at Striker Elite emphasizes technical skills, tactical awareness, mental toughness, character, leadership, and confidence. They currently have U.S. Development Academy, ECNL, ODP, and college players at Striker Elite, as well as aspiring players seeking to play professionally. Striker Elite trainers are qualified and have extensive playing and coaching experience. Whether you're a club player looking to take your game to the next level and become a college or professional player, they will help you fulfill your goals. They provide elite one-on-one training, partner training, small group and team training, plus elite camps. For more information, go to www.strikerelitesoccer.com. Okay, so I know we had a bit of a, a bit of a hiatus between this episode and the previous one. Uh, so a lot went down, and I know this is a little a little old, but in terms of the importance of it, it was something small I definitely want to touch on, and that's the FIFA award ceremonies that were held in Milan at the end of September. Of course, we know Megan Rapinoe, again, winning the awards that, again, you could debate whether whether she should or should not have won those awards. That was, I'm sure, interesting again because we'd already seen so much of her in American media. She had been covered so much, and then again to have her officially named as Player of the Year, we had to, it was almost as if it was brought up all over again. It's starting to get a little redundant. We understand and appreciate what she has done. Don't get me wrong, but it almost felt like it was for political reasons, right? That because she was this political mouthpiece during the tournament and she took the pressure off everyone. That was kind of almost one of the main reasons why she won the award. And again, women's game needs this because of the exposure, right? The fact that this amount of attention was brought to the World Cup because of what Megan Rapinoe was saying is hugely important to the development of the game. However, it's in terms of just pure soccer and love of the game and making it as legitimate, making this thing as legitimate as we possibly can and making it as credible as we possibly can. We can't have, like, just make it a World Cup award ceremony. Like, that's essentially what this was. It was a glorified, based on how you did over a one-month period of the entire year, will you be awarded it? Like, five players from the United States Women's National Team made it to the the World Eleven. And you could argue who should should and should not be on it, right? Of course, Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan are going to be on it. But at the same time, how can you leave two of the best club players in the world, Sam Kerr and Ada Hegerberg, and leave them off the starting eleven? You can't do it. 
like you like if you were literally making the world 11 yourself right <laughs> if you were made if you were as a fan or anyone else who watches soccer watches women's soccer they are immediately slotting in sam kerr and ada hegerberg as the two best strikers in the world at the top of the world 11 now hegerberg did not play at the world cup for norway sam kerr and the and the matildas got bounced relatively early in the knockout stages. So she did not get put on the squad. So again, it doesn't make sense. And then take nothing away from Sari Van Vienendal. She probably was, she was the goalkeeper of the tournament. Don't get me wrong. But just because you're the goalkeeper that got there to the World Cup final doesn't mean you become goalkeeper of the year, okay? I mean, the entire just criteria for it is a joke. Van Vienendal is the backup keeper for Arsenal. She made 13 total appearances for Arsenal as a club player. She made 13 appearances, and then you're talking about, what, six more appearances at the World Cup, five or six more appearances. Like, you make 18 appearances the entire year, and you become goalkeeper of the year. I understand it's a dream realized. I understand what is at stake for her here. But, like, we need to do better. We really, really need to do better when we put these awards together because on the men's side, it's literally the exact opposite, right? It's about how the men do for their club teams first and then pretty much what they do with their national team second, right? But here, it was almost as if because the World Cup is more important than the club soccer, that that should have a higher importance. That, made, that makes absolutely no sense. So that was something, I, I, I've been talking about this for a long time, I'm very passionate about it because while you might say awards are awards, they're only accolades, these players work incredibly hard. And then on top of that, you may have incentive-based contracts where a player might, if they receive such an accolade, then you may get a bonus or a certain endorsement or something along those lines. Like, these people need to make a living off of this, right? Like, we need for women's soccer to become a full-time job not so that there's so many right probably more than half of the people like in women's soccer have a second job or have another job where they need another revenue stream because only the top tier players make enough to live off it full-time so what we need is more legitimacy will it happen uh, i'm not sure but we, we will have to find out okay two other Major pieces of, of information from the NWSL, both involving the Orlando Pride. The first was Sydney LaRue making her return after giving birth to her second child. Again, you could see images of her with her baby girl. That was truly an emotional moment, I'm sure. And great to see her back because I know the Pride haven't had her essentially for the last two seasons because of two pregnancies. So you know, for LaRue to do this mentally to prove to herself that she could come back and do it, right? We've seen A-Rod do it, and LaRue could be the next to kind of kickstart her career again. So, you know, next year is going to be a big, big year for Sydney LaRue and the Orlando Pride as they look to build on the year that they had. And it wasn't great to finish bottom under Mark Skinner. Expectations were set pretty high, and it seemed like but no one was willing to point out the fact that they just were not a very deep team. And especially in the midfield, that there were going to be plenty of, of growing pains with so many younger players and it being a World Cup year. But next year will be better for them. They can get Alex Morgan back, right? You can get Sidney LaRue back. You can maybe add another piece or two to go with Marta. And all of a sudden, you have something there. 
to go with Rachel Hill, Danny Weatherholt, Alana Kennedy. You have Ashlyn Harrison goal. So Orlando's in a good spot, and, and they're willing to play for their coach. That's the most important thing. They love to play for Mark Skinner, and they have his back. So that's one of the things to really monitor going forward is that they will grow and get better under this guy because they, they're willing to play for their coach, and that's so, so critical. Secondly, Tony Presley. I mean, what a story. I cannot tell you how tough it must be like to have been diagnosed with breast cancer. Didn't have to go through any chemo, but to make it back, you know, within two plus months of, of having a surgery and, and being diagnosed, I mean, it's truly something special to, to be able to come back onto the pitch. And she played well. It wasn't like just like a courtesy appearance like here. She actually helped and, you know, helped pretty much keep Orlando in the game, which allowed Marta to equalize and, and you know it was great to see them end their season on a high note to get a good result at home. Happy for the pride for them to end this season this way, something to build off of going into next season. But two moments that again are are really just needed to be highlighted because they're they're major moments. A word from our second sponsor, Topical Gear. Topical Gear was formed in 2011 by a team of professionals from the orthopedic sports medicine field. Collectively, this team has over two centuries of knowledge in athletic training, biomechanics, product development, manufacturing, orthopedic sports medicine, arthroscopy, and the pioneering of products in the sports medicine market. Their team is constantly on the field or in the gym, getting feedback directly from parents, players, coaches, and athletic trainers as part of their continuing effort to develop products that help increase female athletes' performance while keeping them healthy. All of their products are backed by professional published research and tested by real athletes at both the high school and college level. All you soccer players, parents, and other athletes out there, go to www.compressioninmotion.com and check out the T25 knee along with other ankle and shoulder products. Okay, we are down to the social media and lifestyle portion of the show. A couple final things to get to, some important things to know. One thing that was very intriguing that people, especially in Chicago, did not like was the Chicago Times and numerous other, if you go on Twitter and you just search Chicago Fire Soldier Field, you will see every single news outlet only mention the Chicago Fire. And I'm sure there are some people that are still like, why is this an issue? It's because they failed to include the Chicago Red Stars in the headline. I mean, yes, you were talking about the Chicago Fire, the MLS team moving to Soldier Field, but you're also talking about the Red Stars too, right? I mean, you can't just forget. I mean, it's it's mostly just a lack of, it's really just a lack of respect. The fact that they were so, everyone is so willing to overlook if we add the red stars in the title, is that going to get going to get us the most views, the most subscriptions, the most clicks, whatever it is? That could have been a reason as to why they chose not to. But just another small jab, another another you know another sign of of disrespect towards the NWSL and and just women's soccer. But again, what are you going to do? It's it's gonna it's part of the territory. It's going to happen. Legitimacy, fighting for legitimacy, is always going to be hard, and Hopefully, you know, we're seeing a slow uh, and steady increase in popularity and, and just the overall idea of, of what the league represents is, is starting to grow. And 
I think talks of expansion are really legitimate now. We truly have something to look at and say, wow, this could be awesome. Like this could be really something special in terms of multiple teams, right? We're, we're talking about a team in LA. We're talking about a team in the Hartford, New England area. And now, which brings me to my next point, Lyon, the French Giants, you heard that right, are planning to purchase an NWSL franchise. Now there's no word on what that could be, right? Imagine bringing back the Boston Breakers. That would be something special. A team that, you know, once had so much tradition and history. But again, Lyon wanting to dip their hands in the American market, that really adds legitimacy and speaks to the league and that we do have something special here. We really have something to build off of. And if if Lyon gets a team, now you're talking about even more international viewership and even more of an opportunity to to bring all different types of talent to the NWSL because it's only going to get more difficult now that Europe is starting to catch up, their leagues are starting to have more infrastructure. The big name players will be more content to stay at home. But having Lyon looking to purchase a franchise, that's crazy big news. Hopefully it, it works out down the line 2020, 2021. Who knows? We'll have to see. Lastly, one small piece of interesting nugget. Christine Nairn, the first player to play 150 games in NWSL history. You want to talk about crazy consistency. I mean, my goodness. That's a, that's a lot of longevity, consistency, staying healthy, and being coachable and, and doing what your coaching staff asks you to do. So all of those things come into play when it comes to Christine Nairn. And not only her, but we're starting to see now so many other players are reaching that 100-cap milestone. We saw Kristen Edmonds do it for the Orlando Pride, right? So, so many different players reaching that milestone is truly something amazing to speak to the, the level of longevity that we've had now, that it's been six, seven years that the league is in existence. Enough time has lapsed for players to get to 100 appearances. In all of the other leagues that were defunct, you don't have that. All of those records are are stuck as as records like it's stuck in in history stuck in the past but now we have something to move forward towards and something to truly build on so this is very very exciting for the league and hopefully it's something that we will see more and more records uh, you know continually be broken Alrighty, that is it for episode 27 of give and go i'm your host rotas Madera. thank you so much for tuning in guys again Support us at www.girlsoccernetwork.com, on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network, and on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. Again, if you want to make a donation, go to the Give and Go tab on girlsoccernetwork.com, and then click on the Give and Go tab, and you can donate on the link directly under the photo art of our podcast, under Red Circle. So again, support us any way you can, guys. We really, really appreciate it. And again, thank you guys for tuning in, downloading, subscribing. Keep supporting us. We love you guys. Thank you. Signing off. Peace out, guys.